Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Ruth, chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters, Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother goodbye, but Ruth clung on to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. 
Our Father, as we've been singing together, we pray, please, by your Spirit, would you show us uh, yourself and your Son, the Lord Jesus, in your word this morning, in his name. Amen. So, um, it's pretty much exactly the sort of weather that um, my friends down south told me to expect moving up to Yorkshire. So, um, it's, uh, it's lovely to be here and to be enjoying the snow uh, with you. Uh, look, I wonder, how are you doing this morning? Uh, I, I don't mean that in a superficial way. It's easy to ask that question and then ready comes the answer, I'm fine. But how, how are you really doing this morning? Uh, it might be that um, this week, this year, you're feeling very positive. It's been a great week and 2017 is going to be your year On the other hand, it might just be that you're here this morning and it feels like the bottom has just fallen out of your world. I think of a friend uh, battling depression for many years who said to me, Andy, I just feel empty. I just feel like there's nothing inside. And maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe it's a triumph for you that you've even been able to make it here this morning. Uh, I think of another friend I saw over Christmas who... um, a tragedy has struck his family in so many ways. And he said to me, looking back over 2016, it's been the worst year of my life. And it may be that you're here this morning, and if you're honest, that's you. The last 12 months have been the worst year of your life, and it just feels like you're empty, like the bottom has fallen out of your world. Well, look, as we begin this um, series looking at the book of Ruth together over the next four weeks, um, I I hope that whether you would say that life is great or or life is empty, life is full or life is empty, that um, there'll be encouragement here for you. Uh, The book of Ruth takes place during a time um, which was really a grim time for God's people. Verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled... And the time of the judges really was a time when the world fell out of the bottom, or uh, life fell out of the bottom for God's people. It was a grim period. God had had rescued his people from Egypt some 400 years earlier, and he'd made a covenant with them to be their God. He'd made wonderful promises and brought them into the promised land. But the people hadn't lived in the sort of thankful obedience that the Lord had called them to, full of joy and thankfulness. No, they'd, um, they'd rebelled against the Lord, and he'd brought judgment on them. Um, the Lord raised up these, um, these rescuer figures, the judges, and things would get a bit better every time a judge came along. People would come back to God, but, um, but then the judge would die, and things would get worse and worse. And so the book of Judges is really a sort of downward spiral of things getting worse and worse for the people of God. Uh, The last few chapters of the book of Judges are just full of tragedy, really. Uh, It's a a grim story of of rape and murder and civil war. And the writer to the Judges is quite clear on why all of it is happening. Um, Just have a look back a page from Ruth to um, Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. See, this is the context as we come to read the book of Ruth together. In verse 1, we're in the days when the judges ruled. Days of rebellion and lawlessness where people had no king and did whatever seemed right to them. And verse 1 of Ruth 
there was a famine in the land. Uh, Now we're to understand this as God's discipline on the people. It, It doesn't always work like this. But in this context, in the days when the judges ruled, the famine is the discipline of the Lord on his people. And we see that the land is empty. There's a famine. Uh, We're going to see that emptiness mirrored in the life of one family at the beginning of the book. Uh, It's a very ordinary book, the book of Ruth. There are no kings or prophets, no miracles or dramatic acts of God. Um, And yet we're going to see that in the ordinary stuff of life, even in the depths of despair, when the land is empty and so is the life of um, this family, that God is at work by his hidden hand, keeping his promises, uh, bringing about his blessing upon his people. Uh, The book of Ruth is a book of beautiful contrasts. It begins with grief and death. It ends with joy and new life. It begins in the days when the judges ruled. It ends with one word, David, the king that God had promised. The answer to an age when there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes And so whatever your situation is here this morning, uh, whether Ruth 1 verse 1 resonates with you and you just feel empty, or whether actually it's been a great year so far, I hope there'll be encouragement for us here to trust in the God who is at work behind the scenes by his hidden hand, keeping every one of his promises, Uh, the God who would keep his promises in his King. Uh, Now, Ruth chapter 1 is a story in three scenes. Uh, I've given them each a heading. It's on the handout. Um, The first scene we see I've called a desperate situation. Verses 1 to 5, a desperate situation. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And we're to feel the shock in that second sentence. The shock that they went from Bethlehem in Judah to live in the country of Moab. It's repeated in verse 2, just in case we missed it. They were um, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah and they went to Moab to live there. Uh, We're meant to feel the narrator's shock because the Moabites had been enemies of God's people for generations. Uh, It was the Moabites who had hired the prophet Balaam to curse the people of God in Numbers 22. Uh, It was the Moabite women who had turned the the men of Israel against the Lord in Numbers 25. Um, The people of Israel had lived in um, bondage under King Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years, not that long previous to this. And so it's something of a shock that one of God's people would take his family from the land where they're near to God's presence in the temple, the land where they're with God's people. They can know encouragement of um, being amongst those God had made great promises to and move them to Moab. Uh, That's the shock in this move. It's It's a strange move for a family to make. Now, verse two, the man's name was Elimelech. 
And there's an irony in the name. The name means my God is king. My God is king. And yet here is a man who does not make decisions with God as king. Now, the decision he makes is a, is a pragmatic and economic decision. Rather than cry out to the God of promises in the land, it, it, he simply does what seems economically best, takes his family out to Moab. Uh, here is a man who doesn't have God as king, who has himself as king. And I wonder, what about us this morning? Because I guess most of us here would own the name of Christian. And yet, when we make decisions, do we make decisions with Christ as our king? Or, or simply what seems economic and, uh, and pragmatic and, and sensible for us and our family? Uh, when it comes time to move to a new job, a new uh, area, uh, will we be asking where we can be near to God's people? where we can learn of him, where we can serve? Or will we simply be looking for the nice area and the well-paid job? Uh, my God is king, he's ironically called. But things seem to go well for the family. Um, the, the opening verses are full of names. He has a clan, he has a family. Things are going well. And then suddenly these hammer blows. Verse three, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. Uh, there's hope. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. But after this, two more hammer blows. Both Marlon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And this is the desperate situation. Uh, this is a woman empty. Uh, she went away seeking fullness, but, but she's empty. She's without the companionship of her husband. Um, she lives in an era when there's no welfare state to be a safety net. And so to be without husband and sons is to be without pension, to be without any material support. And she faces, well, the worst grief that any parent could imagine, to bury her own children. Here is a woman in a desperate situation. But here's the thing, Naomi's story is really the story of our world. It's our story. Because, of course, every human being has walked away from the Lord God. Ever since the first people turned their back on God and said, I will be king, not you, well, we've been cast out from God's presence from the Garden of Eden. We live in the faraway country, far from God. Let me be clear on this. Um, the Bible never says that when an individual is suffering, it's because of their individual sin that that's necessarily happened. I'm not saying that for a moment. Um, you can hear Jesus in John 9 um, make um, the exact point that that isn't always the necessary connection by any means. But look, on the big scale in our world, humanity as a whole has walked away from God. And so the world that we live in is broken and cursed and far from God. And every human life ends in grief and loss. And every one of us will die. Because um, from our first parents, we've walked away from God. 
Uh, even my non-Christian friends would agree that the world we live in is not how it should be. The only difference is how you answer the question of what's wrong with it and how it can be fixed. And the Bible says that the heart of the problem is that we've walked away from God. And that's the problem that needs to be fixed. And it's what the Christian gospel is all about. And so here is Naomi in grief and in emptiness and far from God. A desperate situation. Uh, But then second scene, a crucial decision. Verse 6, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And so here you have um, this, um, this woman in grief in faraway Moab, and she hears of the goodness of God. Um, She knows that God is in charge of even the harvest and the weather. And so when she hears of his kindness to the people in the promised land, she determines to go back. Uh, Isn't it often the case that it's when people are brought low and when they're suffering and when they're struggling that they remember and return to their God? Think of um, a young mother in her 20s living in... um, living in a shelter because of her abusive boyfriend and humanly speaking you would say that her life had just the bottom had just fallen out of it everything seemed to be going wrong for this young woman and yet it was in that time that she took down the bible that she'd been taught in her childhood and started to read and she came along to a christianity explored course and she's full of the joy of the lord having come home Uh, Life isn't easy. Life is very, very hard for her in so many ways. And yet God, in that suffering, had brought her home. And so often we find it to be the case. Um, I was almost spoiled for choice of examples of that. But the drama of the scene really begins in verse 7. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So here they are, halfway, really, between Moab and Judah, and the key word that comes up again and again in this scene is the word return, or the phrase, go back. Maybe you heard it when it was read. The whole conversation, the whole um, decision that will take place on the road is whether the daughters-in-law will go back to Moab or will return with Naomi to the land of promise and to the God of promise. Now, um, Naomi does the, I suppose, the sensible thing, the kind thing. Verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now, of course, it's a sad thing for Naomi, isn't it, to to lose these two daughters-in-law from coming with her. But I guess we want to say, well, this is the sensible thing, isn't it? Uh, Moab is the country and the culture that they know. It's where they have family. If they're going to find hope of um, the companionship of a husband, of of starting a family, of material security, um, all of these things, well, it's far more obvious how they will find them in Moab. And so Naomi says, well, go back. Go back to the nation um, far from God 
And maybe God will bless you there and you'll find rest, you'll find fullness. Now they're not persuaded and so Naomi goes on in verse 11. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. You see, in those days, in, um, in God's word, the law, he'd made a provision for widows to be able to marry sort of members of the extended family and that would provide for them. They would have security. They'd be able to live. And um, if you don't know the book of Ruth, this is a bit of a spoiler alert. Um, that provision is going to be quite important as the story goes on. It's going to be a big deal, this idea of marrying members of your extended family. Um, but here, Naomi says, look, this, this provision of God, this, this promise in his word, well, it's hopeless for me. It's hopeless for us. I'm too old. You know, here is the choice that they face. On the one hand, you have the kingdom of Moab with all its obvious and sensible and visible glory. Go back there. On the other hand, just words, just promises from God in his law. Now, that's the decision that these two women face. Will they follow their eyes or will they trust God's words? And Naomi implores them, go back to the obvious blessing of this world. It's much clearer how you'll find blessing there. And Orpah goes back, doesn't she? Verse 14. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, look, we, we don't know um, how much Ruth knew about the covenant God of the Bible, the God who's made promises. Uh, we don't know how she heard. Was it from her father-in-law? Was it from um, her husband? Was it from Naomi? But what she says here in verses 16 and 17 is full of the language of God's covenant promises. In verse 17, she calls him the Lord. And we can lose the impact of that because um, it's just a title there in capitals in our Bibles. But the Lord is, of course, not just a title. It's the personal name that God revealed for himself when he rescued his people from Egypt in the Exodus. It's the name he gave when he made his covenant commitment to be a rescuing God, to bring his people into the promised land. And so here is this Moabite woman, and she's taking the name Lord on her lips. Oh, when she says, your people will be my people and your God my God, well, it just it echoes that promise of God in the covenant that I will be their God and they will be my people. You know, I, I was trying to think of a modern-day equivalent of this because, because we, we aren't told how much she knew. And it's, it, it's almost like um, a modern-day person saying, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now these are famous Bible ideas that she mentions and we don't know quite how well she understands them but she makes a commitment that she will trust the promises of this God whatever the cost. And maybe you can remember when you first became a Christian, if you're a Christian here today. Maybe you didn't understand everything you understand now. Perhaps you would have failed um, a handy doctrine exam or something like that. But here is Ruth making a commitment to trust the God of promises, whatever the cost. Verse 17, have a look at that. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely... If anything but death separates you from me. And we've seen the cost that it would be to Ruth to believe the promises of God and to go to the promised land. It would mean leaving behind her country and her culture. Um, it would mean, um, it would seem, leaving behind any hope of a husband or family or um, material security. It's a great cost for Ruth to believe the promises. And to go back to the land. And it must have seemed mad to many people around her to make this decision. If we commit ourselves to believe God's promises and to live as aliens and strangers in this world because we trust him, we'll seem mad to many and yet that's the commitment that Ruth made. You know, if, um, if you say um, no to drinking too much on a night out because you know it wouldn't be honouring to the Lord, or you say no to some relationship because it's one that the Lord has forbidden. Uh, if you move to a new area, it's not as nice as the area you live in at the moment, but you do it because you want to be involved in a church plant. Or you reduce your hours at work so that you can serve more effectively at church or something like that. People will think that you're mad to do that and yet here is Ruth she's heard that God is good and she believes that she can trust his promises and we're going to see in the book of Ruth that she was right to do so because of course it will be through her return to the promised land that God will keep his promise not just to this family not just to the nation of Israel but to the whole world as through her family line we're led to the Lord Jesus Christ the one through whom God would rescue people in every age and every nation and we're going to see that Ruth was right to commit to believe God's promises I wonder if we will. Third scene then. I've put on the handout an ambiguous return. I wonder if I'd prefer to call it a messy return in verses 19 to the end. A messy return. Because verse 19, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And so they're home. And when they get back to Bethlehem, there's a great stir. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And Naomi means pleasant, you'll see it in the footnote. Mara means bitter. See, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. 
See, and there's something very real in the conclusion of this story. You know, the Bible doesn't, um, doesn't paint life um, in, uh, through rose-tinted spectacles. Um, it doesn't give us a picture of life that's all stiff upper lip and box your emotions away somewhere, or everything's fine, I'm all right and you're all right. No, here is a woman who, who clearly believes in the Lord. Verse 21, I went away, but the Lord has brought me back. And yet as she comes back, as she returns home, she's bitter, she's angry, she's full of grief and empty. Verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And you know, the Bible is very real. It doesn't call us to pretend that everything's fine. As I've said, uh, with the students um, last weekend, we were looking at Habakkuk on the weekend away, which is um, an Old Testament prophet who cries out to the Lord in suffering and says, how long is this going to go on for God? And why is it happening? You know, and um, the Bible's full of that. The Psalms is full of believers crying out to the Lord in pain and expressing how that feels. And the Bible never calls us to just um, pretend that everything's fine. And yet, graciously, gently, as Naomi returns, I think we want to say to her that her feelings and the truth are not quite aligned, are they? See, it's right that she expresses this, but, well, verse 21, I went away full. Really, Naomi? I thought you went away during a famine. And how often our our memories um, fool us? How often we remember things differently to how they were? But the Lord has brought me back empty. Well, there's no doubt that she's grieving. She's suffering terribly. But look again at verse 22. Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You see, in the midst of this emptiness, in the midst of her anger and bitterness, there is hope in this conclusion Because, of course, it will be, and again, I'm sorry, this is a spoiler if you don't know the book, but Ruth, as she goes out into the harvest field, well, it will be there that the Lord provides the husband, who provides the children, who begin the line of the king, who is the line of the king, who will be the rescuer that we all need. See, God is going to bless this family, the nation, and the whole world even through the suffering of Naomi. Uh, One of the hardest things that uh, I had to do in my first few months of becoming a parent was take my little boy, Tom, uh, and uh, take him to a GP and let the GP stick needles into him. And, uh, of course, it was his vaccinations. Um, But I have to say, as a new parent who would have jumped in front of traffic to protect this little child that the Lord had given me, it was a pretty hard thing to um, let the GP do that. And, of course, he didn't understand what was going on. He's just a baby. And yet, it was to his good, even as it was painful to him. 
Now, suffering is a great mystery in our world, and I won't stand here and pretend that I can give you an explanation for all the suffering in the world or in your life. But what we see here in Ruth 1 is that the God who has made promises to his people is able to keep them even through the depths of despair. That even in the worst grief that Naomi could imagine, by his hidden hand, God is keeping his promise to save and to bless. And of course, as New Testament Christians, we know that's true, don't we? Because we have a God who took the evil and the suffering of the cross and used it so that people might be saved and forgiven and blessed eternally in the new creation. So how are you doing this morning? Uh, Maybe it's been a cracker of a week, but maybe... um, This week or this month or this year, it'll feel like the bottom falls out from your world. Well, here in Ruth 1, as we begin this wonderful little um, narrative together, we see a God who can be trusted. A God who, even in the depths of despair, is at work to keep his promises in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to bless his people. Will we trust him? Will we turn to him again? I'm going to pray and then we'll sing together. And maybe the band would like to come up as I pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for the hope it gives us to know that you are a God who is faithful to his promises, even to those in the depths of despair. Would you help us to be those who turn and who trust you? Amen.